0: Come on, somebody, let's welcome everybody from around the world that's joining us. We are in a series, and we're calling it Anchored, and uh, this is part three of the series, and so I've been asked to come and bring this particular message, and I want to pray before we receive it because this is, this, this is a little bit of a convicting message. Are y'all all right with that? Yeah. Can y'all handle conviction? Yeah. However, it's, it's a freeing message if you can receive it. And you, I always count how successful the message is by how many people pop up and walk out while I'm preaching. <laughs> that means it's a good message. <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the next few moments together. I, I really come with a sober heart, a, a, a somber heart, but a, a, a place of really expecting you to do something right now. And I'm asking you right now, Jesus, to to prepare the hearts of all the people that are here in this room, that are in all of our campuses, that are watching us online, that today we'll start a journey with you into a deeper understanding of how to be anchored with you. As times get tough, as times become more difficult, I'm praying that this church will be able to weather the storms, and, and as we go through these messages, each one builds upon the other. Let this one really bring us to a place of sobriety, a place of humbleness, a brokenness, and a willingness to to move into the places that you've called us to move into our relationship with you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. So there's a scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Matthew 24, where Jesus is being asked a question. He's asked a question about the end of time. And I think that's a really strong question. And of course, when we think about when that question was asked, it was somewhere a little bit less than 2,000 years ago, so it was a long time ago when he was asked that question while he was on the earth. And as he starts to reply, I'm sure he was considering the fact that uh, what he was about to say would be echoed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times in millions and millions of people's lives down through the centuries, so he was very, I'm sure, very uh, clear that he was trying to speak from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading as he speaks these words. And as he speaks these words, he begins to say some things that are a little heavy, a little challenging. And I'm going to read them, and I want you to, to, to kind of go in there with me. Just imagine yourself hearing these words from Jesus in Matthew 24 I'm going to begin reading, and this is the Passion Translation. I like the way it reads here. It says, Jesus answered, at that time, talking about the end of time, deception will run rampant, so beware that you're not fooled. I'm going to say that again. So beware that you're not fooled. One of the jobs of a preacher, a pastor, or a leader of a church is to keep you in a place where you're not fooled, where you're not being deceived. For many will appear on the scene, claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am the anointed one, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of, by the way, those are not just preachers. Those are politicians. Those are business leaders. They're, they're dictators of countries. There, there's all kinds of people that lead people astray, and there are also false prophets, And he says, you will hear of wars and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears, for the breaking apart of the world's systems is destined to happen. But it won't yet be the end, it will still be unfolding. Nations will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be terrible earthquakes, horrible epidemics and famines in place after place. This is how the birth pains of the new age will begin. You can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away. And they will betray one another and they will hate one another. And many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth, there will be such an increase of the sin of lawlessness that those whose hearts, once burned with passion for God and others, will grow cold. But hold your hope firmly to the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. Now there's four things that I've observed in that scripture. First of all, I asked this question: Could we? right now, be living in the beginning of this prophecy? What do you think? Do you think we could be in the beginning of this prophecy? Do you think that maybe this is starting to unfold right now before us? Is it possible that we could be living in the beginning of this? The second question is, not question, but statement is, it seems like one of the keys is deception. Deception will be the main tool of the enemy. Now, here's the thing about deception. When people are deceived, they don't know they're deceived. How many of you believe, now I I don't want you to to get crazy about this, but how many of you believe it's possible you could be deceived? Let me see your hands. You believe it's possible. Everybody that's not raising your hands, you're already deceived. (laughs) You're deceived that you can't be deceived. (laughs) All of us can be deceived And that's why we have to have this anchor called the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, to anchor us to truth, even when everything around us seems to be saying the opposite. The third observation is the goal of the enemy is to destabilize and disconnect people from God. That's the whole goal of Satan. His whole goal is to destabilize anybody that's a follower of Christ and disconnect them from God. I believe that part of this whole experience that we've had over the last two and a half years with COVID has been a destabilization and a disconnection for many people. I believe that many people that once went to church, served God, believed in God, now have been destabilized. They've been disconnected because they went a while without going to church and then they just got out of the habit of it. And now at best, they might watch it online every once in a while. Then the fourth observation is only people who are anchored are gonna make it. Wow. That's the the theme. The theme of this series is anchored. In other words, if you're not anchored, it's possible that you'll be in this category of being deceived and or falling away. And the reality of the church is during COVID, we lost across the nation about 50% of the church. People that used to go to church that no longer go to church. Literally every week, To this day, 200 churches in America are closing their doors. Now, it's hard for you to imagine that in a church like this because you see all these people and you think, well, it's not happening here, but it could happen anywhere. It's not just uh, little churches, it's big churches. And there are many churches that are just a shell of what they used to be just from one pandemic. What are we going to look like when another pandemic comes that's worse than covid what are we going to look like if the economy crumbles and we have problems paying our bills or meeting our needs? What are, going to ha- what are we going to happen if there's some kind of a war with our own country? Are we going to panic and destabilize or are we going to be anchored? And so Jesus is trying to prepare the church for these difficult times. And, and it was a sobering time because we all, we don't want to think about those things. We, we don't want to think about any thought of some trouble that we might be going through. So as a result, sometimes we just kind of live in fantasy world. We go home, we turn on our Hallmark movie, we sit there with our drink, and we just, oh, da, 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 I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear any of that. Until finally it hits us that we, in fact, have been destabilized ourselves. Now, here's what I know. I was here Saturday morning, yesterday morning. I, I, you know, for those of you that know me, know that for years and years I, I led prayer on Saturday mornings and, and, and when we transitioned a couple years ago, we transitioned that to, to Wednesday nights, but I'm, an old, I'm a creature of an old habit. I, for me, if I'm preaching, I gotta come in here and I gotta feel what's gonna happen in here before it happens. So I just came over here by myself yesterday and I was standing here praying And one of the things the Lord began to show me was that there is an anchor that's missing in a lot of people's lives. And here's the third anchor. We talked about the first one being Jesus, the second one being uh, the truth, the word of God. Here's the third anchor, the fear of the Lord. When was the last time you heard a message on the fear of the Lord? If you've ever heard one at all. I had Pastor Chris of Hamilton Mill, because they're all preaching this at their campuses, text me yesterday, says have you ever preached on this before? And I said, oh, many times. Many times through the history of our church, over the 32 years of our church. He says, because I've been a pastor for years and Christian for years, I've never heard anybody preach on this. And he says, it's not a common theme in the church because it it weeds through, it purges the church. Y'all ready for a purge? You know, here's the thing about a purge. A purge is healthy, but it's painful. But you have to go through that in order for you... You do understand, if you're a person who exercises, no pain, no gain. If you're just kind of going around, you don't ever have to breathe hard and you don't ever have to do anything and you never have to lift any weights that are beyond you, eventually you'll just, you'll not do anything. You're just wasting your time. Amen. All right, so here's the thing. There's a scripture in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12 that kind of sets this tone. Now we're in the New Testament. And in the New Testament... The the writers are trying to prepare the church for what's coming. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says, and most people think it's Paul, but there's no actual proof that it's Paul. But here's Hebrews 12, verse 25. He says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. All right, so let me ask you, let me just say this. Be careful this morning. Be careful online. Be careful that when the Lord speaks to you today, that you don't listen to him. As you shut him down. Don't don't do that. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. In other words, a lot of what you see, we always blame it on the devil or the atmosphere or the, 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 the economy or politics or uh, you know, climate control, all these things. We blame a lot of those things. We don't ever consider that God could be shaking the earth. I'm going to say that again. We, we don't ever consider that it could be God shaking the earth and allowing things to happen to shake out. And here's what it says. It says, this, it, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but heaven itself. This means not all, that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only, everybody say only, only, unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear And awe for our God is a devouring fire or a consuming fire. So as I was praying yesterday, the Lord took me back to an experience I had. Now what I'm going to share with you is going to reveal some things to you about me, but it's also going to reveal some things to you about the church. And some of you that are new to the church may not know what I'm about to say is about this church, where, where this church came from. So you're, you're going to have to make a decision, can you help? Can you hang on to this? What I'm going to talk to you about is something that supernaturally happened to me. And when it happened to me, and I'm, I'm a very practical person, I, I'm a little skeptical of some of these people that are, you know, into the supernatural. I, I've been to a lot of supernatural meetings where people just fall down, kind of give the, you know, they just fall on the ground, but they're really not falling out in the Lord. They're just People are pushing them down or blowing them down. or You understand what I'm saying. I mean, I've had some experience where, where it's just, I can tell it's not the Holy Spirit. It's just people you know, wanting to try to manifest this Holy Spirit. So I've been in those kind of meetings, but I've also been in some real spiritual Holy Spirit meetings. And some of you have been in these meetings and some of you have not been. So I'm going to take you into one I went to. Back in 1996, I'm pastoring this church Victory, we're six years old, we started in 1990, we're probably about 800 people to 1,000 people at the time, and I'm really trying to get God's heart and mind for the future of our church, and I'm praying for God to really awaken the people, we're coming every Saturday morning, at that time, I think at that time I was just praying by myself on Saturday, it was before we had a concerted prayer together and i would come and i have these amazing experiences in the in the old sanctuary down at the v2 building where i would just you know spend all day saturday either in prayer or the word or just getting ready I, this was back when i would do all my sermons on saturday right before sunday we can't do that now because everything's got to be produced back then we just had preaching you just took notes there was no you know none of this stuff no lights no cameras it was just raw preaching of the word and you better take some notes on your own you know. And so I'm, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, I, I, because right, right then what was happening is there was a move of God through the earth where different pockets of revival were breaking out in different parts of the world. One of them was in Toronto that had broken out a couple years pre- previous to that. And this new one that had broken out in 1995 happened down in Brownsville, uh, Pensacola, Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. And it was a phenomenon. Steve Smith was the preacher He's preaching on Father's Day. He starts preaching uh, like a purging fear of God message, holiness message. Half the church, while he was preaching, it's on video, I watched it, half the church got up and walked out on his sermon. They were so upset that he was preaching such a strong word. But that night he called for, for a gathering to come back Sunday night because he said, I believe God's about to do something big in this church. And so a lot of people came back and this revival, this Supernatural revival broke out in the church that lasted for almost seven years, where they met four times to five times a week every night from about seven till midnight for seven years. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people came from all over the world just to this little church in in, uh, Pensacola of all places. What I learned through that right away was, God, he, he's, he doesn't have to pick the big cities for the revival to break out. He, you know, he chooses wherever he wants to break it out, and then when it breaks out, the people just come to that place. And, and so I told our staff, I said, we gotta go down there, so we got in a car one, one week in 96, it's been going almost a year, and it was in hot, it was really going good, and we drive up to the driveway on Thursday afternoon and there's a line of people at least a thousand people lined out the door down around the corner on the sidewalk with their tents their sleeping bags their water coolers everything i felt like this was like a you know a football game that people were you know they were they were getting ready for the football game and i walked up and i said what is this they said well tomorrow nights when the revival starts friday night at 7 but if you get to get in the building you have to stay here overnight and the next day to get into the building and there was no special pastoral passes or entry, entry places where you can walk in the side door. You had, pastors had to stand out there with the people. And so we're all standing there, and we said, okay. So we went, and a couple of us got a room so we could kind of uh, split up our time of sleeping, and we are sleeping out there on the sidewalks. And, and sure enough, Friday, Friday night comes, and there is such an atmosphere, such an expectancy. So God moves, people get saved by the hundreds People are baptized, Friday night was baptismal night, some of the most crazy, I mean, we have Playboy playmates getting in the water, going down, getting saved, coming out and saying, you know, God had delivered them. You have former prostitutes, you have former actors, you have people, famous people from all over the world coming and getting saved, it was amazing. And about midnight, it's winding down, now it's about half full, people have left, and our team is still there, we're just hungering for God, and I'm walking down the aisle, kind of towards the altar, and I'm about this far from the baptismal, from the altar, and there's an usher standing there, and he starts walking towards me. And I, I heard the Lord say, He's going to come pray for you. He's going to come pray for you. So as I'm walking to him, I get about this far from the usher. He's standing about where that water baptism is, and he stretches his hand, and as soon as he stretches his hand towards me, he doesn't touch me, he's not anywhere near me. The power of God hits me so hard. Now, this is where you got to. Shut down the mind for a minute and open up your heart. The power of God hits me so hard, I fly back about 10 feet in the air. And I fly backwards like this. I don't fall down, I don't give a courtesy drop. I mean, I'm out. I go back. I'm conscious, but I go back, hit the ground, my head hits the, the side of the uh, pew, They're, they have pews in this church, hits the side of the pew and it went pow! And it made this really loud noise. Now, about that time, I'm saying, God, thank you for giving me a hard head. <laughs> There's sometimes you need a hard head. And I, I didn't, it didn't really hurt me. It didn't hurt me. I didn't, I didn't, but it seemed so dramatic, people thought, this guy is out. So they came running over to me, some of my team and, and, uh, and some of the ushers, and they said, are you okay? And I'm very conscious. I'm not, I'm not unconscious. And I said, yes, I'm fine. I said, but there's only one problem. And they said, what? I said, I can't move. And they said, you mean, you're paralyzed? I said, no, I'm not paralyzed. See, I can move my arms and my legs. I just can't get up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm plastered to the floor and I can't get up. And I said, I don't know, what, what is this? And they said, oh, this happens from time to time. <laughs> said, and one of the ushers said, just stay there for a moment. Let God do what he's doing. Just do, let him do his work in you. He's, he wants to do something in you, and, and he knows if you get up, you'll miss it. So he's going he's to keep you down there until you, get, till you obey him, till you, till you listen to him. So I just laid there and shut my eyes, and literally 15, 20 minutes went by, and God started speaking to me about you know, just the fear of the Lord, all these different things. And one of the things he said to me, he said, the missing element in the American church today is the fear of the Lord. That's what he said to me. And it came time, you know, they wanted everybody out, so they had these uh, special uh, people that they they hired. They were all dressed like Harley-Davidson riders with their vests and their tattoos and their long hair, and they were like the church bouncers that bounced people out of the building (laughs) because it had gotten so late. So they came over, and first it was my staff. They tried to pick me up. They couldn't pick me up. There were four guys on my staff could not physically pick me up. I, I was... I was plastered to the ground. They could not physically pick me up. So they got this guy, and three of them pried me up just enough so he could get his shoulder underneath me, and he starts to press up to me. He gets me about as high as this pulpit, and then both of us go flying back. And now he's plastered to the floor. I know some of you are like, what kind of church is this? What what is this? Y'all all right out there? See, some of you need to hear stuff like this. You've, you've never been around this. You've never seen it. You don't know that God moves like this. You've only been in churches that stand up, sit down, say a few prayers, go home. You don't experience the fullness of God. So I'm, I'm laying there. We lay there for another probably 20 minutes. And finally, the, 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 the presence of God lifts enough so that we can get up but really can't walk. So they have to put me in a wheelchair, what a sight it was, my team wheeling me out, the pastor of the church, in a wheelchair. You know, usually you come in in a wheelchair and you go out walking. <laughs> the opposite was happening in this movie. We come in finally, fine, and then we won't go out in wheelchairs. And it took me almost the whole night to kind of come down from this pre- the presence of God. And when the presence of God is on you so strong like that, it is a high, like no high you will ever get from drugs or alcohol or anything else. It's, it is a spiritual high, and all you, can t- all you can do with that is just try to just yield to it, try to yield to it. So I say all that because that was what started me on this journey of learning about the fear of the Lord. I went home and I started studying the scriptures, and I'm gonna give you several scriptures in a row, that are in the Bible about the fear of the Lord. Now now listen to them carefully and listen how they apply to you. Number one is Psalm 34, seven. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. So that tells me that no matter what is happening around me, if I'm fearing the Lord, if I'm in a position of God, reverence and awe of God on a regular basis, God has an angel camped about me to protect me. Now I don't know about you, but I believe that. I believe listen, I know it's kind of strange. I believe there's angels in this room right now that we cannot see. Because the Bible says he gives his angels charge over you. Alright, so Psalm 34:9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Proverbs 19:23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. God is greatly to be feared. Psalm eighty-nine says in the assembly of the saints, and to be held in reverence by those around him. Proverbs twenty-two-four: By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. There's benefits to fearing the Lord. Proverbs sixteen-six: By the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. You want to know how to get free from evil? Fear the Lord. That's what walking in the spirit is. Walking in the spirit is fearing the Lord so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't conquer the flesh unless you fear the Lord. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And then I love this one because this is a promise to the family. Psalm 128, one through four, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. You say, well, that's not exactly the picture of my house or my family. My wife is not necessarily flourishing and my children are certainly not like olive plants around the table. They're in their room on their iPhone eating a sandwich. <laughs> That's because the, anytime you see a divorce, a brokenness in family, children backsliding, falling away from God, anytime you see that, it comes back to this one thing, there's no fear of the Lord. The presence of the fear of the Lord is not in the house. It's the job of people that have a home, that have a family to fear the Lord. It's, it's, it's for the sake of their family, for the sake of their children. All right, so as I'm reading this, I, I, I ask the Lord, okay, give me a download. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It's not to be afraid of the Lord. What does it mean? It comes from a Hebrew word, yara. And it literally is translated awe, respect, reverence, and worship. Awe, respect, reverence, and worship. In other words, He's saying that there is a constant presence in your life where you, in awe of God, you respect everything about him, you reverence him in your lifestyle, and you live in such a way that demonstrates the fear of the Lord. All right, so now I want you to think about that in your life right now, your life. Look at your life right now, how you're living, how you're conducting yourself privately where no one can see you, how you're conducting yourself in your family, how you're conducting yourself with the opposite sex, how you're conducting yourself with money, how you're conducting yourself with all these different things, and ask yourself, is there evidence that I fear the Lord? Is there evidence in these areas of my life that I fear the Lord? So Paul writes this letter to the Philippians to kind of describe what salvation looks like, what salvation really looks like. And here's what he says, in in the book of Philippians 2.12. My beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. Now you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live, as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. (sighs) I'm praying yesterday, and I'm down here on the altar, and I'm just talking to God. And literally, as I got about halfway into this, my hands start trembling. My hands start trembling. Now, I don't have an illness. It's not causing it. I'm trembling in the presence of God. And I'm, I'm asking myself, when was the last time I trembled in the presence of God? When was the last time you trembled? That you came into the presence of God with an awesome respect and awe to the point where you literally, I'm in the presence of God. Now, one of the reasons I come to pray and one of the reasons we have prayer is to ask the presence of God to come into the sanctuary so that when people walk in the doors of victory, they feel the presence of God. I do not want a church where people walk in and walk out and don't know the difference between the presence of God and just a church service. <laughs> I've been, I've been in church... I've been in church services filled with thousands of people and no presence of God. So there's no, don't think that people indicate that the presence of God is there. And then I've been in small meetings where the presence of God was so strong that nobody could even stand. So I sat down years ago, I wrote a contrast between the New Testament, Acts 2 church. And what the people were like back in the day, two thousand years ago, and what we're kind of like today. So let's look at this. Let's put it up on the screen. All right. So, for example, in the Acts two Christian, you have on fire relationship with God. The modern day Christian, at best, lukewarm religion. Just enough, but not too much. I don't want it hot. I don't want to be cold. I just want to be comfortable. How many people come to church, I, I, I just want to be comfortable. I want the air conditioning just to be right, the heat just to be right. I want the seat to be comfortable. I want to sit where I want to sit. I want my kids to do what they want to do. I want it to be. And as soon as it's not comfortable, I'm out of here. Participated daily in, Christian, daily in Christian ministry, church, and in homes. They were literally going to the temple daily, praying, and in homes, meeting regularly. Modern-day Christian attends church one to two times a month at best. With 20% serving and 80% watching. All right, so, so just, I mean, I mean, let's just, how many of you were here last week? How many of you were not here last, don't raise your hand, no, not here last week <laughs> or the week before. <laughs> Live sacrificially to help others and reach more people for Christ. Modern day Christian lives self-indulgent lifestyles, occasionally giving whatever's left over. Acts 2 Christian believed consistent, unified prayer was essential for the power of God to move the modern day Christian doesn't have time for prayer due to busy schedules. We have a church of 14,000, 15,000 people. We have prayer on Wednesday night, maybe 150 people come at best. Uh, Acts 2 Christian were willing to lose everything for the cause of Christ their family, their jobs, their lives. They weren't living for security. Modern day Christian, family activities, jobs, entertainment replace the worship of God. Fall festivals, the beach is calling. I want to watch football. I can watch it online. Did y'all hear that online, people? I don't don't need to get up and go to church. (laughs) Acts 2 Christians. Set the example for the community in marriage and family life. Modern day Christian looks like the world. 50% divorce rate in the church. Youth influenced by peers and internet. What a contrast between where we are today and where we are 2,000 years ago. We've drifted. And what have we drifted from? The fear of the Lord. We've drifted from the fear of the Lord to the place now where we don't even talk about stuff like that because it might, it might make people leave the church. As if we're supposed to preach just to get people to come to church. Wait, 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 don't applaud for that. My goal is to get people sometimes to leave the church. Not, not, not people that want God, not people that love God, but people who are just playing with God, just playing church. There's a lot of, hey, there's a lot of churches that you can go to. And, and please feel free to go visit them. But, but if you want to go to a church that believes in the Bible, you're right, you're right here. It's, it's a good one. This is a good church. You're going to hear the Bible. Now I don't, don't want to say that in a prideful way. I want to say that in a humble way because I want every church to be that way. Don't you? I, because you can't get the job done in the Great Commission with just one or two churches. Every church needs to be that way. All right. So. I'm asking the Lord years ago, how do I demonstrate, tangibly, physically demonstrate that I fear you? And he began to show me a few ways to do that. And the first way is through how I worship the Lord. How I worship the Lord. Now, Jesus <clears throat> makes a comment. It's the only time we even hear a, a comment about worship, true worship in, in, in the Bible in the New Testament is in John first. Where, John's, where he's addressing the, the body of Christ, and he says this in John 4 23. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers, everybody try, say true worshipers, true. true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, they worship the Lord in spirit. They, they, they yield to the spirit, they're yielded to the will of God, they're yielded to the, and they worship him in truth, meaning that they worship the word of God over all of other words. The truth of God's word, when they're worshiping God, supersedes their feelings. <laughs> what would the church look like if we were more submitted to the word of truth than we were to our feelings? How many of us make decisions in life based on how we feel about it instead of what's actually true? All right, so he says, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, when I say the word worship, most what comes to mind? Most people, what comes to mind is, Going to church and singing songs. But worship is far bigger than just going to church and singing songs. Amen. All right, so let me give you three thoughts about what worship looks like. Pure worship. Number one, you, can, you express worship through what's called your devotional life. Your devotional life is what you do in private with God when no one's watching he, you know, he, he would tell us that there's a few things that you need to do to demonstrate you really do reverence God. So the first place is your word life, your, how you read the word, how you pr- look at the word on a regular basis. So what I've learned is if I'm going to worship and reverence God, one of the first things I need to do in the morning is get into the word. Get into the Word before I read the newspaper, before I listen to the radio, before I listen to my favorite music, before I start looking at my, my, my job things. I'm, I get up early enough to, to get into the Word. Now, in order to do that, for some of us, we have to go to bed earlier. <laughs> so part of the starting point of the next day is determined by what you do the night before. How late you stay up, how much goofball stuff you do before you go to bed, How much foolishness. And and so, what happens is, I usually go to bed. I know this is going to sound crazy. I usually go to bed about nine o'clock. I'm usually in bed by now. Some of you are just getting started at nine (laughs) o'clock. But you're also usually people that don't read the word and don't pray and don't do any of those things, so you don't need to go to bed. And so, I go to bed because I want to start the next day the right way. So, I start off with the word. I usually read the word. I've been recently just kind of in. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and I've been kind of reading there, just studying and meditating on that word. And when you read it and meditate it, what you're doing is you're honoring God, you're reverencing God's word above all other words. Before you listen to the world speak, you're listening to God speak. And then the second area of devotion is your prayer life. Prayer life is one of the humblest things a person can do is privately spend time in prayer where they're talking to God and then listening to God for a period of time where you're saying, God, I trust you, I believe in you. What I'm saying uh, and what I'm praying is because I wanna honor you and respect you and I wanna let you know that I believe that everything I have, everything I can do is tied in to my relationship with you. Before I talk to a mentor, before I talk to a pastor, before I talk to a friend, I'm talking to you. And then the third area is we, we come to worship in the, in the sanctuary. We come to worship in, in services in, in, in the sanctuary. The second one is through our serving life. How and where can I serve people? Jesus said I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so it's about learning how to live a life of a servant not somebody that's always being served. Does that make sense? All right, so let me ask you a question. Where are you serving right now? Where where are you serving others versus people serving you? And then thirdly, through our submitted life. How much of my will is in the way that I need to get out of the way? God, let your will be done. Whatever your will is. So I don't get to choose my career I don't get to choose where I go to school. I don't get to choose what I wanna do. When I'm submitted to you, I'm asking you for the directions of what to do, and then I'm just gonna submit to that. Does that make sense? I reverence you. I'm in awe of you. Now, here's the beautiful thing about those three things, your devotional life, your serving life, your submitted life. That's why, now listen to me carefully, that's why God created church. He had church created, and the church was designed To start the first day of the week, this is Sunday. You know, Sunday's the first day of the week. It's not the last day, it's the first day. And it's the first day of the week we give the first day to God. We give it to God. Now, this is people who fear the Lord. You give it first to God. I come to the church, I sacrifice my comfort of staying in my home, in my bed, or going to some activity. I'm going to get up, I'm going to take a shower, I'm going to get the kids ready, I'm going to get in a car, I'm going to drive to a building where I'm saying to God, I'm going to sacrifice what I want to do for the sake of letting you know you're first in my life. You're first. And I'm sending the message to my children and to their children and to their children that you have to be first for life to work. I reverence you. And not only do I reverence you and worship, I don't come in and just sing songs, I lift up my hands, I lift up my heart, I worship you. I don't just stand there with my hands in the pocket looking around at everybody, I am worshiping God. And then when it comes time to serve God, I'm serving you first in my local church. So I find a place of serving, not just attending. I find a place, well nobody's coming to me. Why are you waiting for somebody to come to you? You initiate the serving. You find a place to serve. Can you believe that people would come to church, worship God, but never serve anybody? So (laughs) Sunday was no longer for us, the day we got saved, Sunday was no longer a day for us anymore. It was the Lord's day. And the Lord's Day meant we give first to everything. We give them the first of our money. We give them the first of our time. We give them the first of our service before we ever work a job. We offer this up to you as a statement, God. We fear God. We reverence you. We reverence you in everything that we do. So Sunday was never like an hour and a half in your home you come to church and then you serve in another service. So you serve one and you go to one, serve one, go to one. You say, well, that's just asking a lot of your children. Our ch- My daughter grew up in a church where she was in church four times service, four services in a row. So don't give me this thing about two services. Come on, somebody. <laughs> where, is she, where was she, what was she doing? Well, she'd go to children's church, then she, sometimes she'd go to middle school, depending on age, and then she'd serve. When she wasn't, wasn't in the service, she was serving somewhere. You're not going to just sit in the back somewhere and color, color a book or look at a video. You're going to serve somewhere because we are serving people. We fear the Lord. We fear the Lord. I'm not training you to just attend church. I'm training you to be a person who fears the Lord. All right, so that's the first area. The second area we reverence God and show fear is our body. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey because there's a lot, you know, we just had this big big election, and a lot of people voted for certain candidates based on abortion, abortion. And here's the cry of those who want, they really, really fervent about abortion. It's my body, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my body. Okay, so what happens is when you start taking down that route, you are definitely announcing to God, God, you're not ruler over my body. You're not ruler over my body. I am the ruler over my body. And when people make these stupid statements, like there's not enough room in the bedroom for the government and you. What kind of stupid statement is that? Coming from people who preach the gospel, representing to people that it's okay for you to have an abortion. Now I'm just using abortion as an example, but there are thousands of other things we do in our body it has nothing to do with abortion that we still have to deal with. How many of you know your number one challenge in your life is your body? Your number one challenge, because there, there are things that your body wants to do that God is telling you not to do, they are not healthy for you to do. Y'all all right out there? <laughs> That's why <laughs> when you come to God, I'm going to read some scriptures, going to burn you a little bit. When you come to God, this is what it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, Romans 12, 1, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all that he's done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he, God, will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. So when I came to God, my body was, I just did whatever I wanted with my body before I came to God. And when I came to God, one of the resistances I had with God was my body. I said, God, I love you, I believe in you, but I can't change this stuff going on in my body. And God said, you can't change it, but I can. And the only way you ever break free from the lust of your flesh and the control of your body is you have to submit your body to me. You have to come unto me. And once you do that, it's an act of worship. You're putting your body literally as a living altar sacrifice to be holy and acceptable which is my reasonable service. Then he says this in 1 Corinthians. We haven't even got into it yet. 2 Corinthians, 7-1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or our spirit. Now notice he says body or spirit, because when you defile your body, it also defiles your spirit. Now here's what most people don't realize. There's three parts that, you, that make you, body, soul, and spirit, spirit, soul, and body. Before salvation, here's here's the rank in your life, body, soul, and spirit. When you get saved, it turns upside down. Now it's spirit, soul, and body. Your body's under the control of your spirit. Walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he says, get rid of anything that causes your mind or your body to be defiled. Anything you're watching on movies or TV or videos, anything you're listening to in music, anything that's feeding into your spirit things that are not godly, amen. So we've been watching a movie, I don't know about you, but sometimes we're watching a movie It just seems like an innocent romance movie and all of a sudden, bam, they start breaking into sex. They're about to have sex. Now, it may not be visual sex where they take their clothes off, but they're, they're not married and they're about to have sex. And they're all, they, it's like, isn't it funny when people meet each other, the first time they meet each other, they kiss each other, they start tearing each other's clothes off. Like that's real life. Like we're such animals, we can't control ourselves. We just got to tear each other's clothes off. That's the only way we can have a relationship. It's amazing. And, and so we're watching this and as soon as that happens, we got to either turn it off or if we, if we like the movie except for that part, we fast forward through it. Because I can't watch anything that my little daughter growing up can't watch. If she's an innocent person, I need to be an innocent person. Y'all all right with that? So we had no R-rated movies. We didn't, we didn't watch stuff like that. In fact, stuff started going sideways. We'd get up in a movie theater and walk out. We walk out of unholiness. Some people walk out of holiness. Some people walk out of unholiness. Now, he gets a little bit more specific In this last verse, and this is one that hurts a little bit, 1 Corinthians 6, 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? They don't belong to you. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Now, the word prostitute is used in that particular translation, but what it was really just saying, join it to somebody that you're not married to. Join it to somebody that you're not married to. So, it's not just a female Prostitute, how many know males can be prostitute? And a more modern day would be a hoe. Just a hoe. You ain't nothing but a hoe. Having sex with people you're not married to. That's what you do. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Because there may be some of us that are hoes in the room right there. I'm sorry. But you don't have to be a ho no more. You, you, you can change that. You can, you can change that. But look what he says happens. Look what he says happens when you join yourself to somebody you're not married to. Should I do this? He says, never. Everybody say never. never. All you young people, say Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a hoe, he becomes one body with her? They become hoes together. And the scripture says the two hoes are now united into one hoe. You become defiled. But the, (laughs) you know why we're laughing so hard? Because we all see ourselves in that scripture. We all, oh my gosh. But the, but the person who's joined to the Lord, fearing the Lord, is one spirit with him. So here's what you need to do when you're getting in a, in a place where there's possibilities of sex. Run! <laughs> Flee. Run. Run from sexual sin. You're dating somebody, they start putting the move on you, get out of there. And now I'm talking to guys these days that are telling me, you know, pastor, it used to be we were the guys always putting the moves. Now the girls are putting the moves on us in the church, putting the moves on us. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. It's a unique sin for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor and reverence God with your body. All right. Y'all all all right with that? All right, let's move to the third one so we can go close we can get repentant and get all of our things dealt with today, amen? The third one is the one that we we don't always see as reverencing God, but it's very important to understand money. Money, currency, money, moolah, cha-ching. We have all got to learn this principle about money because money is the number one competitor for people's hearts. That's why Jesus made such a big deal. He talked more about money three times than any other subject in the Bible. 2,450 verses on money. There's nothing more talked about than money, and yet many people that that go to church, love God, still don't know what to do with their money. Still don't know how to think about money, don't know how to handle money. So I'm a brand new Christian, I don't know much about money. All I knew about money was money cometh and money goeth. I was like the Bible, talking about Haggai where it's like, or Hosea, where it says, you're just like a person who earns all money and puts it in his pocket with holes. And it just kind of goes in and goes back out. How many of you have ever been like that? You, not, maybe not now, but you've been like that where you just, how many of you have wasted a lot of money? Let me just see your hand. You just wasted money. Okay. So God tries to straighten that out and he says, okay, here's, here's the thing you have to understand about money. Money is trying to get you to worship it. It's a God, it's a mammon. Mammon was an actual God in the Old Testament that people would worship. They were, it was made out of gold that they would worship. They worshiped the spirit of mammon. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve the spirit that's on money. There's a spirit on money that you cannot serve. You have to break that spirit from controlling your life from the very beginning. Now once man sinned, a curse came on the earth. And that curse had to do with how well you would do in the earth curse, part of the curse is sickness. Part of the curse is poverty. How many of you know poverty is a curse? But see, some people don't understand this, that sometimes blessing without proper understanding can also be a curse. Sometimes you can be so blessed that you you forget God. He said the desire of other things, the lust of things in the earth, the wanting of things enters in, chokes the word and makes you unfruitful in your life. So God... Puts it in his word from the very beginning. He starts this process of how to break free from money. And he starts this thing where you worship God, not only with your time, not only serving, not only with your hands and your lips, but you actually worship him with your sustenance. You bring something to the Lord. In that day, most people did not have currency in the Old Testament. They had lands, they had crops, they had animals. So they actually brought physical crops, animals, whatever the first of everything they had, they brought it to the Lord. And then eventually when currency came into play, then currency became the part of how people worship God. And if you read carefully through the Old Testament, they, they had so many times of bringing offerings to the Lord that they generally annually gave somewhere between 26 and 28% of all they had to the Lord with all the extra offerings. So you get tired of a building fund offering, just remember that, okay? because they were bringing offerings all the time, almost every week. And a lot of sacrificial offerings for their sins. They were having to make offerings for their sins and because they sinned a lot, they had to bring a lot of offerings. Can you imagine how many animals you'd have to have to keep up with all your sins? Aren't you glad we don't have to offer up animals anymore for our sins? Aren't you glad about that? We'd have to have a whole farm of lambs. All right, line up the goats. I've been bad last night. And so now... Now it's a free thing that we do with God that says to God, I reverence you. And so this whole thing about tithing, giving the first of all your increase, it was instituted not because God needed our money. He wanted to make sure that we weren't worshiping things. So he said, I'm going to, if you give me the first, then I'll take care of the rest. I'll bless the rest. But if you're withholding the first, that means you think you're the one that's making the money. You're the one that's increasing yourself. You're the one in charge. It's my money and I want it now. <laughs> so he starts this journey with the Israelites because they were, they were just so rebellious. And he says this in Leviticus about tithing in 2730. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs, everybody say belongs, belongs to who? To the Lord. And must be set apart to him as what? Holy. He just tells us that the tithe, the first 10% of of your income, is not just something to be treated lightly, it's holy. And when you reverence God, you put it aside and give it back to the Lord. You never take things that are holy and apply them to things that are unholy. When you take things that are holy and apply them to unholy things, it curses the unholy things. And that's what they did. They decided to rebel against God, fall away from God. No matter how much God blessed them, they'd still turn away and turn to worshiping money and things. They stopped tithing. They stopped serving God, stopped living right, started divorcing each other, just like what we see today. And then God uses the prophet Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to call them back to God. And then there would be 400 years of silence after he says these things. And some of the last words of Malachi recorded in Malachi chapter three, and here's what he says... In Malachi 3, in verse seven. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And then he asks this question, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? He gets very clear. What does he say? In tithes and offerings. The tithe is the first 10%, the offerings, everything above the tithe. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So then he gives instruction. He tells us how much to bring and where to bring it. He says, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say "Whole whole tithe. The whole tithe, you don't split it up, give it to different places. The whole tithe goes to one place, and where does it go? To the storehouse. What is the storehouse? The storehouse in that time was the temple. Now it's the church. It's where you're spiritually fed. It's where when you have trouble, they are there to help you and you are there to help them. It's a mutual back and forth. If you give your tithe to a TV preacher, you call him when you get sick. If you need counsel for your marriage, go to him. Get on a jet airplane and fly to him and let him counsel you. If you're giving your tithe to your grandma over in Ethiopia, then when you have problems, go see her. She's your storehouse. Wherever your storehouse is. My storehouse is the, hand, is the church. I've always been the church. Wherever I go to church, tithing, that's, just, that's an elementary giving to God. First 10% of everything, I'm increased. And you say, well, do you give before taxes or after taxes? <laughs> Depends if you want a before tax return or an after tax return. Depends <laughs> how you want to do it. I give him the first. I don't look at the taxes as anything more than a bill. It's just another bill. I mean, I could put the car note in there and the house note. After all those things are paid, then I tithe? Or do I just pay the bills? And, but I tithe off the first. So I always tithe off the top of everything. Tithe the first 10%. And then he says, this is what he says. <clears throat> and he says, uh, he says, you're cursed with a curse. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. There be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. But then he goes a step further. On in just a few verses down, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasure possession. He's talking about people who are obeying God in their families, in their ties, everything. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves them. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that's gonna be strong, but listen to me carefully. If you've heard the word on tithing and you just disobey him, listen, you don't fear God. You don't fear God. The only way you can really demonstrate the fear of God is everything the word says for you to do, you do it. You obey it. You might mess up, you might do some things wrong, but you come and repent, and then you get it right, back right again amen. So when I got saved, I started learning this. Here's what I've learned. Even when I made very little money, as long as I gave God the first of everything, God put his hand on me. God put his hand on my job, my finances, my, my family, all these, his hand was on me. So I decided, I don't know about you, but it's for me and my house, we want God's hand on us for the rest of our lives. So I don't tithe to you just when things are good. I tithe whether they're good or bad the first fruits of all my increase don't belong to Bank of America or Ford Credit or somebody else. I don't fear them, I fear you. (laughs) No. I don't fear my bills, I fear God. And what I've learned is if I keep God first, there's always enough to take care of all those things. Always, always. He said, prove me if I will not do this. You're kind of clapping, but... There is a real possibility that people go to church today in America and they don't tithe. They give, but they don't tithe. They don't serve. They don't reverence God. And yet, they think everything's fine with God. And I'm here to tell you that that what we're missing right now in modern day society, and especially in the modern church, is we're missing the fear of the Lord. We're missing the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to do something that's going to be a little awkward, a little unauthorized. It's not going to be something you normally see. But I want you to see it, and then I'm going to ask you to follow, to follow suit. And so in order for me to demonstrate this properly, I'm going to have to come down on the floor. So this is not going to always be the best on the camera. I understand that. So all of you that are watching us on camera, you'll just have to deal with it. It's, you'd see it a lot better if you were in the room. <laughs> <clears throat> for almost 30 years, God had me come here praying on Saturday mornings, and for the first probably 10 years, it was by myself. And then eventually, people started joining me, and I began to realize that in that prayer, God began to do things in victory that I could never do in my own strength, could never do. But one of the parts of the prayer that was common for me, and still common, and I I had this experience yesterday, that's why I'm doing this for you right now, was I have to get down on my knees. And it's not comfortable when you're 65 years old. You know, your joints are aching. I got down on my knees, but I got down on my knees and put myself in a position of humility and lifted my hands, and I just started talking honestly to God. God. So I'm going I'm to just show you what that kind of looks like. And then in a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you have anything in your life that you need to humble yourself on when we talk about the fear of the Lord, today is your moment to humble yourself, repent of sin, say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry for living a life that doesn't fear you. doesn't reverence you. God, I don't want to just be one of these nominal Christians that just goes to church every once in a while or watches it online every once in a while. I want to be somebody who really is all in. I want to be all in. So forgive me if this is so unorthodox that it makes you uncomfortable, but this is how I I don't pray like this. I pray like this. I turn my back on people because I'm not praying to people praying to God so God it's like yesterday I came down right here at this altar now I'm in front of people but God I want to just for a moment shut out all the people that are in this room and I want to talk to you and let you know I want a clean heart and a right spirit and I want you, Holy Spirit, to come now and begin to do a purging in my life. I don't want anything to defile me. I don't want any sin in my heart. I don't want any sin in my body. I don't want any sin in my family. I don't want any sin. And so, God, I ask you, first of all, to forgive me of the areas of my life that I may have taken in a casual way before you, Jesus. Sometimes I feel like I'm living right, but I know that there's areas of my life that are still not where they need to be. Some of it's my devotional life, God. So Lord, I just put before you this this day my body and I offer it up to you as a willing sacrifice that every day from this day forward to be holy and acceptable in your service. I offer up my mind to be renewed and transformed by the power of your word and I offer up my by human spirit, to be fully submitted to you, Holy Spirit. And I just invite you to come now and burn out any of the chaff that's inside of me, God. Anything that's wrong, anything that's sinful, anything that's deceptive, anything that's harming me or harming others, God. Deliver me from any bitterness or wrath or clamor or anger. Deliver me from anything that's sinful in my life, God. Cleanse me. Holy fire. Burn in my soul everything that's not of you, Lord. I want to live pure before you, Jesus, every day of my life. And I lift my hands to you and surrender to you. Let's just lift our hands to Him right now. I lift my hands to you, Jesus. And I worship you. Let your conviction come now over this church. If you're here today and you say, I need need to humble myself and just demonstrate physically that I'm repentant of my sins and I want to just physically humble myself before the Lord. Then I want you all across this building to just stand up to your feet. You say, that's me, Jesus, that's me. All across this building, stand up to your feet. And I know this is going to seem awkward and going to seem hard to do, but if you feel like I need to come to this altar today just for about two minutes, three minutes, <clears throat> some of you just, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, you're already thinking about it, but you're like, oh, all these people, when you, one of the great signs that you fear the Lord is you don't fear man. You're not afraid of what people think about you. You're just saying, God, meet me. me at this altar, and today some of you are going to get free from some stuff. Some of you are going to get delivered from sins in your life. Some of you are going to get delivered from just a lukewarmness or casualness to your life. (laughs) Some of you are just going to just be saying, God, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing wrong, but I just want you. I want more of you, less of me. And so as you come down to the altar, it's just a statement of humility. It's just saying, God, I humble myself I wanna get this down, Lord, I wanna fear you. I wanna fear you and don't worry if it's altar fills, you can just go right down the aisles, it doesn't matter, wherever you are, just kneel before the Lord, just get down and kneel before the Lord, if you can kneel, if you can kneel. And I understand maybe some of you can't, so feel free to sit. Jesus, you see our hearts now as we come to you right now. Just gonna wait on the Lord for just a moment because there's so many of you what the Lord is doing in victory through this series is he's purging us of all the worldliness and all the deception getting us in a ready place because things are going to get rough coming forward and and I I don't know about you but I want to be ready for that so God you see all these folks that have come down to this altar now meet them right where they are you know exactly what's going on inside their lives you know every private moment you know everything that's been happening with them, and so we come now as an act of humility and to just get our lives in the right place with you. So let's just say this let's say it together Jesus, right now, I humble myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and begin to burn out of me anything in my heart that's defiled. I want my heart to be right with you, Jesus. So I ask you to create in me a clean heart and a right spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Put your Holy Spirit in me, Lord. Today, I submit myself to the Lordship, not just the Savior, but the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, I submit myself to everything that you desire, everything you've designed from my life to experience. Today, I reverence you. I fear you. Every day, more and more, reverencing you, fearing you, being in awe of you. And I thank you for these things. Now just lift your hands. Just lift your hands. Let's sing this song right now. Let's just sing it to the Lord. Let's just invite the holiness of God into this place right now. Jesus.